brought to you by the folks at Privateer Rum. I'm Maggie Campbell, the president and head distiller of Privateer Rum, and today I'm chatting with Nicholas King of the Wine and Spirits Education Trust in London. Hey everyone, uh, I want to welcome Nicholas King from Wine and Spirits Education Trust. Uh, he is joining us from uh, London today. Yes, I am. Pardon? Yes, I am. Sunny <laughs> London. Uh, would you give a quick introduction of uh, your background, who you are, what you do for people who don't know you? No, of course. Yeah, my name's Nick, um, and I have been working for the um, WICT since 2007. Um, and prior to that, I had been working in wine and spirits retail. I'd worked for small retail chains and for the larger supermarket chains as well. Um, and in my time at the trust, I have worked mostly on developing the qualifications that we do. And I've worked on most of the qualifications over the time that I've been there. Um, so I've worked on the wine ones. I've also worked on the sake ones. But my main focus for the last, I'd say, five years or so has been spirits. Um, and that's really what I've been working on. And I mean, that's how I've got to know you, Maggie. And um, we've we've made a, a really significant change in what we do um, and what we offer. And we're really excited by that. And um, yeah, that's that's kind of what that's kind of where I am. And that's what I'm up to. Awesome. Yeah. So, you know, I did WSCT. I joined um, in level three. That must have been 2011 because um, I had studied at IWG previously. And I remember getting the level three in wine, um, wine and spirits book. And it was the biggest stretch I've ever had to make in any education program. It was a bigger stretch than diploma to masters of wine. Um, and so for people who don't know, uh, WSCT has level one, level two, level three, and then the diploma. And the diploma used to be a diploma in wine and spirits, which is when I did yeah, the two programs were combined, but recently they've been split up to be a lot more in depth. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, but I loved my time at WSET of all the educational programs I've done. It was by far the most valuable. And I thought for the price, it was incredibly reasonable. You know, there's a lot of very expensive programs out there. Uh, but for me as a very young woman to have a certificate that said, I know what I'm doing, uh, was very, very helpful to me. Um, I ended up staying involved with WSET because I was really excited about how wine and spirits education um, map over one another. And that's how I got to connect with Nicholas, where we were at a industry conference for distillers uh, in Louisville. And we had planned to meet and go tour some uh, bourbon whiskey distilleries together to get some information for what is now the new level three textbooks and photos, some really great up personal interviews. And so it was, I could think of no better way to start a friendship than traveling around whiskey country, getting amazing tours and behind the curtain looks at so many facilities. And since then, you know, you've come and stayed with me on the farm a few times. I've come to see you innumerable times in London. You guys are so gracious. I show up a few times a year, take over a desk and, and get to hang out with y'all and, and distract you from your very, very important work. 
Um, and it's been really beautiful to see the brand new Level 3 in Spirits come online because I truly feel like there is no other textbook or program like it. There's no gathering of all of that information together in one place in the English language and of course being translated into other languages, which is something I think is so great about your program is it's so globally relevant. Um, and for me, if I had had that textbook, it probably would have saved me a really good 10 years at the start of my <laughs> studies. Uh, so I think it's a beautiful thing that that's out there uh, for other people to access. So do you want to talk a little bit about how the program has changed? I know I hinted at it. Uh, yeah, no, of course. Um, I mean, I mean that, that was a very, very kind set of words there, Maggie. Um, and I would like to emphasize that no money has been exchanged for that kind of praise. I mean, it's just that's genuinely from you and and we are very grateful for the support you've offered us over the years um so it was a good few years ago now when um we kind of all sat down around the table and we were looking at what our qualifications were doing and um we had wines and spirits qualifications and um that sounds like they get equal billing but it, it just literally that wasn't the case there was there were wines and then there was a tiny little bit of spirits stuck on the end of it um, and we had some spirits qualifications, but they they weren't really performing as well as we would like, let's say that. Um, and so we we hatched out a plan whereby we would separate out completely the streams of our qualifications. So that by the end of that, and that kind of happened this this um, last August, so last year, that's, that's when it kind of, this kind of rollout finished. Um, so we ended up with four wine qualifications, three spirit qualifications, and we've currently got two, but there may well be more sake qualifications. And the sake was always separate, but it was the separating of the wine from the spirits that was considered to be a, a very important shift in how we were going to organise our courses. And the reasons for that, I think, were pretty clear. Um, there are clearly many people who are like yourself maggie who are deeply engaged in both wines and spirits and and, and many beverages um, but what we do find from our customers particularly the wine customers is that most of them really are just interested in wines and and spirits wasn't really something that particularly excited them and similarly when you're looking at a lot of the people who are um very very kind of focused to the spirits industry wine is not so much of a a huge interest for them um, and as I say this isn't an absolute black and white thing but I think it's fair to say that there's um there are two quite distinct tribes so it made much more sense to separate these out and also then focus the completely rejuvenated spirit side of things um, to the needs of that industry and to really kind of sharpen it up and freshen it up so uh, must have been five years or so ago now we redesigned the level one and then we did which is a one-day course a very very straightforward kind of one-day course which is really good for people who are completely new into hospitality or any kind of retail sector um, gives you some really good basic information and it can be delivered in one day with an exam it's just meant to be kind of be fun and engaging and give you just that little bit which you would need it's not really meant for someone necessarily who is who needs a great in-depth knowledge then we um, we worked again on the level two and kind of developed that up, um, and that's a two and a half, two two and a half day course, and that is um, 
that is really, you can start there. You don't have to start at one, so you can start there too. Um, and that's for people, I think, who are a little bit more, more kind of spirits is much more part of their day-to-day -day work. Um, it's something, or it's something that they're super interested in. Um, and it covers a lot of the basics of distillation theory and some of the key processes that will go on from processing of the raw material, fermentation, and then through into the post-distillation activities. And um, it looks at all of the main categories. Um, now, that kind of is quite comfortably deliverable in two days. And it's, you know, it's good for people who are who are be beginning to develop an interest and develop their career in spirits. Um, but it's not really where we wanted to end. And what we wanted to end was a much, much more substantial qualification, which was what turned out to be the level three, um, which is what was what has emerged this year. Sorry, last year, <laughs> losing track of time. Um, so it was it was launched in August 2019, and that was, God, um, at least two years solid work of development. And I think you you put it very well there, Maggie, that the challenge was that it's a very unusual book for spirits. Most 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 spirits books are written on single categories, which is completely understandable. Um, a lot of them are written in a more of a a friendly kind of way and I don't mean that that I'm unfriendly it's just that um, they're kind of more easygoing books which is fine I mean and again there's absolutely a place for those kinds of books um, so a lot of hard technical information has to be sought out and it's kind of has to be squirreled out um, so there was a whole lot of work that was involved in bringing together a lot of disparate information into a single volume that looks at production theory and the various different categories of spirits um, and as such i think there really isn't a book that does quite what that does um, but as you'll know maggie from your kind of time kind of working with all the various different wine programs there are lots of wine books that do that kind of thing so this was quite a a unique thing to tr to stick together and and you know it it was challenging um, a lot of this information just isn't easily available yeah um and i mean that's even for, for very familiar spirits like cognac for example which is um yeah that can be quite challenging because they th their willingness to share information is is not as great as as maybe some other people's willingness to share information so um that it's it was a it was a real challenge to stick that together, um, but we got there, um, and I think one of our great one of one of the things that really we were really really proud of was um, this was through one of my great colleagues and friends, um, Anthony Moss. We were able to um, put together the first real kind of summary in detail in English of the production of um, shochu, which is the um, Japanese spirit, and baijiu, which is Chinese spirit and some really incredibly different and unique techniques that they use out there for the processing of grains um, and some really incredibly unique spirits as well so um, we're very proud with where we've ended up and we've ended up with a, a big five-day course um, five intense days in the classroom but still pretty manageable um, and there's a lot of tasting involved there's a lot of discussion about the application of the theory and what we really want people to come away with is not just knowing some facts because you know that's stuff which we can all learn in our own time um, the key thing for us for a level three is that 
what we want our, what we want students to be able to do at the end of it is to be able to describe things accurately and sort of if you were kind of asked a question about something you would be able to talk someone through that process kind of clearly and precisely but also explain why something is the way it is and you know all, there's a lot of um talk uh that sort of that kind of like makes distillation sound terribly mysterious and you know there's lots as you know there's lots of stuff that isn't known but similarly there's lots of stuff that is known so there are plenty of things that are quite explainable um and, and we want our students to be able to explain to an appropriate level um some of the phenomena that happen um because then that you know makes you um a much more kind of more discerning professional in the industry um and the other thing we work on is tasting um and tasting is always challenging because it's quite a personal thing um but i think we've, we've got a way of kind of breaking it down um into a more kind of structured approach which then allows more meaningful comparison between things so that was a lot of work to put all that together and we were piloting it we piloted it in the usa we did some in the uk um and um we were doing that through 2018 early 2019 and then in 2019 it was august it was launched so we we've had a number of courses run in the us and unfortunately we've had to cancel one um that should have been running in i think in a few weeks time in new orleans um but these courses will return um that's for absolute certain sure um and also the other thing that we are going to release in august at the very very latest this year is a full online course so you'll be able to study for this program online um, and it's highly likely also by that point in time we would have accelerated through and we would have got the materials available as ebooks so there'll be you'll be able to kind of have the whole thing as, a, as an electronic experience um, so we've got some various different learning options um, and that's going to expand and the us is a very important market to us as is the uk well, as is the world in all honesty but we have to start in somewhere um, and the us yeah. and the uk are kind of where we're starting it as it stands at the moment so um so that's where we are and we've we've obviously hit some challenges in the last few weeks as has everyone let's be honest um but, yeah for people who might be listening to this at a later date um, you know, we are here in, you know, the later part of March, um, dealing with the coronavirus, um, sort of globally, and right now, um, a large, uh, I should say, a, a, a definite section of the globe is sort of under stay-at-home orders, either legally imposed, such as for Nicholas and myself, being in London and Massachusetts, or personally imposed. Um, to try and help stop the spread of the virus. So for anyone who's listening at a later date, that's sort of the, uh, you know, harsh reality and, and difficult time this is being recorded in. Uh, and a, a big reason this topic came up was, you know, I've started doing a lot of Ask Maggie Anything sessions on Instagram. And a lot of people are asking, what can I learn? What can I learn? What was a good resource? What wasn't? And you know, one of the things you touched on is that uh, WSET is not branded education. So it's unbranded. It is not trying to promote or market any specific 
style. And unfortunately, you know, as you mentioned in the wine world, there's tons of great information out there. There's research centers, there's universities dedicated to it, many, many universities, Mm. um, you know, and like Geisenheim is a research institute, uh, Davis, all sorts of them, Cornell. Um, And in spirits, there's a lot less and there's a lot less unbranded education. Um, And so when you take a course like WSET, you're going to get honest factual information. It's not going to say one way is better than another. It's going to say, these are the, this is how someone looks at the intended style that they want to make. And these are all the choices they make to reach that intended style so that someone who's taken this course can look at a photo of a distillery and kind of put together just from seeing that image, what the spirit might actually taste like because of the different choices of the still, the size and shape and placement of the fermenters, um, the aging warehouse and facility, um, you know, that kind of stuff and how it, it impacts the spirit. And I think that's Mm. something that is really, really special about WSET. It allows you to be a professional who can look at any product, taste it, and extrapolate some data, or talk to any producer, hear what they're saying about how their product is made, and in your mind be able to know what that means for flavor. Um, And what that means, of course, um, in the world of global spirits and being able to frame that spirit within the global world of spirits and have a good in-depth understanding of what it is as opposed to learning every single detail about every single distillery one at one, which I can tell you if you're learning from the producer is only going to be one side of the story. Um, you know, for us at Privateer, we like spirits education period. Cause once people have the information, they're often excited to try what we do. Um, because I like to make choices that are exciting from the production point of view rather than, you know, have all this branded information. But as someone with a technical background, from a number of different institutions, I can look at a lot of that marketing and say, oh my goodness, this is not education. This is marketing. Don't pay for marketing um, as posing as education. Um, And I think that's a big, big concern out there. Um, So yeah, and I do think a perception of knowledge about spirits has changed. I think that, you know, a lot of people understand to be a professional in food and beverage means you should have an understanding of spirits and what's behind the bar. And, you know, when I first started the Masters of Wine, a lot of it was, oh, you're a distiller. Why are you here? Well, I'm here because I also have a very in-depth knowledge of wine. I can't, I don't do just one thing. But also like spirits and wine are very intertwined. And it's been really interesting over my years at the Institute to see how many people are saying, oh, wait, you work in rum. I read this great article. Like they're getting much more excited and interested. And it's not like, why on earth are you here? It's more, oh, wait, now I have some questions. What's this? What about filtration? Is it the same as in wine? And I'm like, they're very, very similar. They have very similar results. (laughs) Uh, Exactly right. Like this. And if you do that, it's like that, just like in wine. If you Mm. are selecting casks for blending, it's just like in wine. Um, So it's been interesting to see that, you know, some wine professionals I know signing up for the spirits courses and especially level three, uh, which is very challenging. I I have to say, I think the level three in spirits is far more challenging than the the level three in wine. But of course I would say that. (laughs) So I I admit that's not an unbiased opinion. Um, It's very, it's very hard to judge difficulty, I think. And I think it's, um, it's, 
within the wine world there has been more formalized education i think for slightly longer i think that may be an oversimplification but i think but i think it has been around longer and, and there's been a kind of a sense of kind of well the professional will understand the processes of the producer um so i think there's more of an understanding of that um whereas i think potentially some some parts of what we're doing is quite different and i think because it involves distillation and distillation feels very sciencey um which is ridiculous because you know there's so much science that's kind of intrinsically involved in all kinds of beverage production um but distillation kind of feels a little bit more kind of um technical and i think some people can be very put off with that but we we, we find ways of explaining it which doesn't require the use of maths or kind of lots of kind of highfalutin chemistry so it is all very understandable um, yeah i loved that about kind of going back and forth with you on some of the images in the textbook and and those sorts of things that there's so many great technical illustrations that show the very high-end concept in a way that you can explain to someone who doesn't have a chemistry background. And you know, I, I talk about chemistry all day at work and people always say, you know, do you have a degree in chemistry? Oh God, no. I like no, barely well, took well, no, a picture of it in high school. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, I knew it for distillation. <laughs> yeah. And I think in some ways, the fact, I mean, I mean, I'm from a humanities, I mean, from education, I was from a humanities background. Um, and um, we've, we're very lucky that we've got a number of people who work in, our, in the trust who are kind of um, very, very well-educated chemists. Um, and there have been some really fun conversations that have happened between us, which have been on, will you explain this to me? And I got horribly confused and I tried to explain it back and then they, like rolled their eyes going well you can't say that because that's an assumption of the x y and z and it was in that process of those kind of back and forth conversations that we were able to find a way of saying complex things quite simply but without making it sound horribly inaccurate i mean one, exactly. of, one of my one of my favorite examples is the situation with like the relative boiling points of ethanol and ethanol and water now i'm going to probably say this in centigrade because it's easy for me to remember but you might have to do the Fahrenheit conversions, but um, obviously ethanol boils at 78.3 and, 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 yeah, and water is 100. Now that's obviously at standard atmospheric pressure. Um, and these are in their very pure forms, which are almost impossible to get hold of. Uh, and <clears throat> obviously that's a, that's a, that in itself is a very simple fact to understand. Now, the way that distillation is, is, is quite often described is that, well, because of this, then once you hit 78.3, then as if by magic, poof, all the ethanol comes off. Um, and of course, that's not what happens. Otherwise, we'd all be making vodka on our stoves at home. Um, and you just have to make a very slight tweak, which is just, uh, well, once this liquid, which will have a boiling point that's somewhere between 78.3 and 100, once it starts to boil, then the vapor that's released, the gases and the liquids that will be coming off that, will just have a little bit more ethanol in them and the reasons for that being that it takes slightly less energy for the ethanol to want to go yeah i'm going to become a gas now um and you know that's enough but that kind of it conveys the subtlety of that situation without getting involved in mathematical equations which ultimately is how these things are fundamentally described in their most accurate form um, yeah for us there, you know, water boils at 212 Fahrenheit and alcohol more around 176, 177. But like you said, I always say 
around because it's these imperfect solutions in an imperfect atmosphere. And there's always going to be subtlety to that. Yeah, and it's um, and it's just find it's finding ways of trying to get this understandable and explainable without um, without compromising on the reality of what is in fact going on, which is inevitably quite complicated. Um, and so it is in fact a really fun thing to go through that process, and it's also very liberating to be, as as you rightly point out, we we are we are self-funding. We don't we don't we're not the whole twenty brands, um, so we are able to kind of stand back and just take a look and actually that's really liberating because it means you can make lots of strong comparisons um and you just don't have to kind of like bow down to anyone it's you, you you're able to say things in a kind of in a much more observational way across categories um now it doesn't mean that we don't kind of shy away from discussion points um and let's don't look at that like rum which is in your world maggie i mean obviously there are some very emotional <coughs> excuse me um uh talking points that exist in that like for example the the additions of sugar or <coughs> the the very heavy use of caramels or um or other kind of geographical definite um indications and such like so we will touch on those things we will say particularly level three well these are talking points these are discussions um and we will kind of present various points of view and then we then kind of hand that over it's kind of you then as an adult you as a professional you have to kind of make your mind up but we can present you with um an overview of what there is um which is you, more important which, which is absolutely more important and and it takes uh, it takes all of the raging heat out of the situation as well um <clears throat> yeah now i mean rum is obviously quite charged as we all know um but they, but you'll find similar kind of controversies in all sorts of different places um i like, think we saw one once when we were teaching a course with um small craft distillers and i thought that you very rightly brought out sort of standard examples of each spirit so that we knew what we were talking about when you say the word vodka in america especially to a consumer which is so important to understand as a producer that when you're talking to a general consumer, they're not you and they're the people who are buying your product. And, you know, we wanted to talk about like, Hey, when you're talking to a bartender and you say the word vodka, this is, you know, Smirnoff comes to mind. This is exactly what they're experiencing. And having a knowledge of that is critical for being able to communicate with them. And I definitely saw some craft distillers be like, well, that's not what I'm trying to do. That's not what I do. That's not what I do. And, and I think it's always important to stop and say, you know, education isn't about you. It's about what is out there, what is understood. And then where do you fall along that expectation? And how can you use that personally, take the education away, and then personally use it in your business to say, this is what makes us special. This is why we're different. This is where we land in the world of spirits. And this is why you need to buy our bottle rather than anyone else's to get this experience. And this is why it's special. And I think that's, well, I think, yeah, I think that's really, I think that's, yeah, I think that's very true. And one of the analogies I very often use is one of the landscape. So if you're painting a landscape and if say, for example, I'm teaching at level one, well, um, I could put in the big mountains in the background and we can see some sort of, we've got the, the very strong outline of where the different peaks are. 
Um, and then as you go through the layers, you're putting in more detail, you're putting in the, the lower foothills, you're putting in other kind of landscape aspects, and you can see how, how there are links between these various different things. So I think it is very, it's, it's, and this is one of the things where we, we, we have to think very carefully when we're doing sample selection for the classes. It's not just, as you rightly say, it's not just stuff what I like. It has to be, well, what's the point of it? What, what point am I trying to make? Is it a stylistic point? Um, is it a quality point? Um, is it just kind of diversity and comparison? Um, there's all sorts of different ways in which you can do that. But as an educator, it's, it's important that you are, you're showing that spread. And, and, and you're completely right. If you're looking at the world of vodka, whatever you may or may not think of vodka, you absolutely need to understand that there's a very good reason why Smirnoff is as successful as it is. Or um, if you're looking at the US markets, vodka does very well, or Tito's does very well. There, there is a neutral style of vodka, which is quite different from some of the more characterful styles of vodka, which I suppose maybe more traditionally have come out of Europe. Um, and there's that kind of the whole landscape that has to be kind of looked at, um, not just one particular kind of point of view. Yeah. Um, and the other really interesting thing is, particularly when you talk to producers or, or people who have worked in particular industries for a period of time, they're remarkably they're hugely informed about the sector they work in but they're not kind of necessarily like you talk to people in Scotland they won't necessarily know particularly much about what's going on in cognac and they're the two massive global centers of pot still distillation um, fundamentally different in how they go about doing things um, but they're not really kind of necessarily fully understanding one another because they just they do what they do um, and that's one of the other great things about what we can offer is this like well it is this sort of stand back comparison. Now, obviously not every spirits professional is going to be completely into that. We get that. Um, some people are just like, you know, I'm in whiskey, that's where I am. And you know, absolutely fine. There's loads of things you can explore in that space or in rum or wherever. Um, but I think there's lots of interesting comparisons that can be made um, across categories. Um, yeah. And as you can see things being done differently. Um, well, let's, um, to let folks know a little bit about sort of, what to expect in a level three class because people always say you know where should i start where should i begin how technical mm -hmm. is it um would you mind giving us a little teaser say say we discuss um i think one of the first things you and i bonded over was discussing making of cognac um because mm -hmm. i had been lucky enough to get a little peek behind the curtain and be able to communicate it um you know uh, very easily to you uh, about mm -hmm. cognac. So let's give people mm -hmm. a little example. Would you mind discussing what the level three WSET spirits program would cover when it comes to say heads and tails and the philosophy in cognac about using those heads and tails to impact a spirit style? Okay. Yeah, no, no. I mean, that's, I mean, it's a, it's a really interesting thing. And I think one of the things where, um, maybe because I, I grew up in Britain and obviously Scotch is very dominant, but Scotch has a very, very particular way in which it goes about doing um, double pot sort of distillation. It's probably the one, the account that we, we hear most. And when you start to kind of understand what's going on in cognac, you're just like, well, hang on, that doesn't compute. Well, it's just different. And I think that's the most important thing to focus on. So if we take the very, very, very simple way in which um, 
the second distillation is described in Scotland, and generally a lot of people will do this, um, they will take a heads cut, which would be done after, what, 10, 15 minutes. It will vary depending on producer. Then they'll take the heart's run, which is for a few hours. Then they'll take the tail's run, which is a few hours. And they're going to run that still down until there's next to no alcohol left in the pot because they need to collect all the alcohol for tax reasons, largely. Um, and then the heart's going to go forward and then the heads and tails are going to get recycled with another batch of low wines which is going to come out from the first pot still distillation. Now one of the one of the things that is often overlooked in that account is well aren't there lots of things in the heads and tails that you didn't want why are you recycling it? Well that's an incredibly good point yes there are but there are also lots of things in the heads and tails that you do want like the ethanol like some of the lovely esters um, and you want you don't want to throw those away now um there's good commercial reason for doing that but of course if you keep recycling the tails and particularly the tails because the, there's a big chunk of tails if you keep recycling that then you get this massive build-up of unpleasant well you would get this massive build-up of um, unpleasant aromas um, and the scots have a very very clever way of dealing with this which is that when they're charging their second still um they uh, have to have the ABV in that charging vessel to less than 30%. And once it comes under 30%, then a lot of these um, heavy fractions, these these low these low volatile fractions, essentially come out of solution. They form a thick oily layer across the top, which is why they were called fusel oils because they're oily. That's what they look like. Um, and then you're able, it's like olive oil sitting over water, you're then able to decant out what you want and leave behind what you don't want. And if you've ever had um, New Make Spirit that comes out of a Scotch whiskey still, it's actually quite drinkable. It's, it's I mean, it's it's high alcohol, but it's, it's it has a, has a kind of a, there's generally a cleanness to that style. Now, I think that's fair to say. When you kind of go over into cognac, um, it's just much more complicated than that. Um, so when you get the the, uh, the second distillation, the bon chauffe, um, they'll take the heads, the tet, then they'll take the heart, and then they divide the tails into two. So you have the second, which is the first part of the tails, essentially, and then the queue, which is the last bit of the tails. Um, and then, then kind of recycling mayhem goes on. You've got four things that come out from there. So where do they go? Well, the, the cur, the heart, goes off for maturation. The heads and the tet and the queue will almost inevitably go back and be redistilled with the next batch of wine. So that's gone all the way back to be redistilled with the wine. And then the seconds, which is the top half of the tails, well, that could be redistilled with the next equivalent of low wines which is called brewery or it could be sent back to the wine and redistilled with the wine so it's instantly more complicated but ultimately what they're trying to decide is how much of these heavier um, low volatile fractions they want to include in their spirit now maggie if you were to describe the spirit that comes off a cognac still what would you describe it as um it depends uh but <laughs> i would say if we were doing something to be aged long term it does not taste immediately palatable um yeah. it needs yeah. to age to increase its elegance exactly. um for so, sure it's got quite a bit of um 
a, a little bit of that sort of high tone ethyl acetate. So like a, like an intense green apple to the point that like, maybe it wouldn't be exactly pleasant. It'd be more like pear drop medicinal that's going to calm down in barrel and get accentuated through esterification. And it's also got a hint of that waxy cheesiness. Um, yeah. That is going to be what we would call tails, but of course, after it oxidizes and breaks down in long-term aging, uh, will become quite flavorful. And again, and the, yeah. that would be the longer you're going to distill it, or sorry, the longer you're intending to age it, if you are replenishing older stuff, you would actually include more of those tails. Absolutely right. So essentially what the, what the cognac A's were doing was they were looking for a spirit which they knew they were going to age for a long period of time and by including some more of these heavier fractions um, they were able to charge up their um, their barrels with lots of flavor potential which then needed a long long time to kind of find its resolution now one of the reasons i think why a lot of cognacs have that slight bit of added sugar in them is because particularly when they're younger it just helps pro provide a balance with that kind of sharpness that kind of heat on the palate which you can sometimes get with cognac um, and that's neither a good thing or a bad thing it's just a way of managing texture in the palate um, and for cognac producers who are wanting to produce some of these no additive ones there is definitely i've had some where i've recognized technical choices they could make as far as pulling back on some of those elements make it taste more elegant without it and not everyone exactly. necessarily, because it's just been so tradition to make it this way, um, mm -hmm. that not everyone is doing that. And to me, it's I can taste that scaffolding that the sweetening can add that needs to be accounted for if you're not going to sweeten, making those production changes. And part of that is through education, uh, such as WSET, you know, being able to say, like, these are the choices you would make or not make uh, to account for that. Exactly right. And I think that's that's a very good point that if you were looking to kind of not add sugar or um, do some of those other adjustments, then you obviously need to make a spirit which is um, going to be more balanced and more structured in, in and of itself um, off the bat. So the the challenge you have as a cognac distiller is that you, you've, you, there's a, a lot more choices which are being made than there are necessarily sometimes in a scotch distillery so it's just um there are some really interesting differences that exist and the reasons for their existence is partly tradition partly the fact that scots they're distilling all year round whereas um, in cognac it's a seasonal product um and part of it's motivated by tax as well so um the Scots will always want to reclaim the alcohol when they're distilling so that they don't want to leave any ethanol behind. Um, whereas if you're distilling in cognac, you can shut the still off earlier and leave some of that behind and drop that out in the vinas because that allows you to drop out some of the really unpleasant fractions as well. So it's, it's seeing those differences, understanding why those differences exist um, and what that does for style uh, is one of the kind of the key things that we're we're looking to explore um, yeah and you guys go that in sorry yeah doing that throughout the course so we'll, we'll look at the double retort system we'll look at the double thumper system we'll look at um, the clay pot still system the clay, clay pot stills that are used in mezcal um, various different column arrangements from the very kind of simple rustic I hate to use that word but it you know it communicates sufficiently in this kind of environment um, 
the the quite simple stills that you use in Armagnac to the real kind of like multi-column, super expensive, fantastic things that are used in the neutral spirit production. Um, and there's, there's reason and choice made in, in all of those. It's not just because there's always a reason. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and some of it, you know, is, you know, I, it's, I, for me, it was fascinating when I first started getting down to the Caribbean and seeing how many stills are made up of many parts of many stills out of necessity. Um, you know, they'll have a part that's a Vendome. They'll have a part that's a John Doerr. They'll have a part that's a Forsyth. Um, mm. and that's something you would never see in, you know, Europe and the U.S. Uh, and it's, you know, it's just working with what you have, creating a really unique style and then growing that into like a really beautiful cultural expression that is just as valid and sophisticated as anywhere else. Um, you know, and I think you see that in Mexico uh, with a lot of the sort of indigenous producers um, that are doing a lot of the, you know, what I find to be some of the mezcals with the most intense sense of place um, and, and sense of personality that I find really interesting. And, you know, going back to your discussion of heads and tails, it was interesting for me because in U.S. craft distilling, you know, people discussed recycling the heads and tails and just did it um, very compulsively, but obviously didn't always have access to the information from like Harriet Watt, which is, you know, a distilling school for the Scotch industry. The Scotch industry is very professionalized. There are very, very common standards of how you get as much alcohol as you can. Um, and a lot of this sort of technical training is very, it, you can find parts of it that are uniform across many of the distilleries because it's such an important institution. And so, you know, dropping your proof to, to separate out your fusels is very, very common there. But mm. not every U.S. distiller who says, who reads a line, oh, we pitch our tails back, grasps that concept. So then, of course, I went and worked for Germain Robin, learning the cognac style. I learned much more about keeping heads and tails strings separate, dumping them so they don't build up, all sorts of stuff way before I learned about the scotch method. So then, of course, coming into rum, um, and scotch had always been a big passion of mine, something I was really mm. interested in. Um, I remember the first time after leaving Germain Robin that I was like, you know what, I'm going to try to strike this, this, uh, this tails proof and see if I can get this oil slick separation. And when I did, it was like, it was kind of like magic, you know, and it's that magic of chemistry. And so, you know, I think finding the route in which I learned those things, you're talking about an arc of 12 years there. And now people can take this course and learn what it took me 12 years. <laughs> To learn and experience, um, you know, so I think that's really cool and exciting that that is. Well, that's, that's very kind of you to say, and I, I, I would want to throw in one caveat in here, which is that we're talking about that when we talk about this in our courses, we're talking about this in generalities, in general terms. We're, we're certainly not teaching people how to run stills or how to operate stills or how to be a practical distiller. It's not, it's not that kind of practical distiller course, but I think it's something that can inform how you might want to go about doing it and and i can absolutely see the various different threads of your education um when i see the way in which you go about distilling now obviously we won't talk about the methods you use because that's entirely up to you to talk about that but you can see various different approaches of combining different techniques that you've seen over the years and how you go about making your cuts and how you go about recycling um, and that's really that's really fascinating because i remember when i was when i was first when you were first showing me around the distillery and i was like going 
why is she doing that? Why? I don't, I don't understand. And then it began to make a lot more sense as I kind of acquired a lot more information and a lot more understanding. You could see where these different influences had come in um, and, 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 and how you're taking a very kind of um, a combination of different and, and a very strong influence from some of those French techniques, particularly in the way in which you go around managing your cellar. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. And for me, it's, you know, it's what I, what I learned in my personal experience and what I lived um, that really taught and informed me to create my own style um, as opposed to, you know, I think what, when I first visited Cognac, I called Hubert crying because <laughs> he truly had created, I, I did not realize like what the distillery I worked in at Germain Robon, you could pick up and sit down in Cognac and it would be seamless. I, I really, it taught me to realize truly what he had brought and created from his authentic experience, um, you know, and, and that was really special. Whereas, you know, that's not my calling, nor, nor my life, nor my identity, kind of creating my own thing out of, you know, what I actually did as real labor as, as a worker and what spoke mm -hmm. to me and, and learning and bringing them into my own personal expression. And, you know, it's interesting because of course in the broader rum world where, you know, in the Caribbean aging is very different than how I do it. And it's just as valid as how I do it. And it's just as sophisticated and just as nuanced. Um, and there's of course differences between all of those producers as individuals as well. Oh, absolutely. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting a lot. I, I love being able to show, little tips and tricks and ideas like the aged water. Um, usually when someone comes and visits from the Caribbean, they, they're like, okay, what is this bullshit with the aged water? And, we <laughs> and they're like, it's still kind of like, it still seems a little fussy, but yeah, it's kind of cool. And then I go down there and I'm like, okay, what's up with this? And they're like, oh, here, try this, try this. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm like changed. My understanding of how spirits are made is changed. You've changed me. This is beautiful. Thank you. Mm. So it's kind of cool to see like how we all interact with one another and how we all learn from one another and, and how in so many ways, you know, we think that one person invented this one thing in this one place. Um, but really, you know, there, it's so much more than just that. So I think it's it's much more a case of there's a lot of invention that goes on everywhere, and people end up doing lots of different things, and um, some things become quite ingrained and entrenched, um, uh, and they're kind of followed just as as a tradition. But um, I think what we're able to do now, as more and more people are kind of coming together, um, and uh, more more people are looking across the fence to see what kind of other categories are up to, or, or what other people in other parts of the world are doing. That actually, I think we can see um, almost a hope. I would hope to see. Um, um, so certainly my hope is that we can see a more of a hybridization of some of these techniques, as um, and people can kind of really experiment and, uh, and, uh, and everyone's favorite word innovate in a in a really interesting way that doesn't just rely on buying barrels from someone um and you can also do that you know we do some stuff we can do that while also like making what our big authentic thing is you know and and i think that they don't have to be it can be both at once i think a distillery hmm. can produce a very very authentic 
Barbadian rum that we would recognize as Barbados rum, that the people of Barbados would recognize as Barbados rum, right? Mm -hmm. Because if the people who invented it don't recognize it as that thing, that's when you really have to stop and ask yourself, what's up? Um, And so, you know, a distillery can do that. And then they can also produce other things that are under a different style name that they can release as well. And both can exist. And I think it's great for both. I don't think, I think we get a a little too, I think you and I both witness that people can get a little too either you're one or the other. And I think Mm. both just be clear about, you know, this is a cool experiment we're trying and this is our classic expression. Yeah, Uh, I know, I know, I think so completely. I mean, I think, um, like, my, 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 my eternal hope is that in Scotland that they start making more interesting grain. Well, not, not, I'm not saying that the grain whiskies that are currently made are uninteresting. That, that's not what I mean. But just looking at maybe some different approaches to, to making grain whiskies or just trying different things um, that are using other traditions of techniques. Um, uh, you know, and I just, I think that there's, there's a whole load of cross-pollination that, that can happen that way. Yeah. And they can still have their classic brands and then also mm. some new cool lines coming out. <laughs> no, absolutely right. Yeah. I think that'd be cool. I would love to have a rye pot stilled whiskey from Scotland. That I think that would be really on the palate. I could just imagine the like fur from that sort of I think, I think there is one at the moment um i think it's Kenevi, but um i could have said that horribly wrong so um, <laughs> please don't please don't shoot me in the comments but um but um uh, yeah i mean it, that, i think i think there's just real opportunity and i think but that's true of anywhere and i think that's true of anyone so you know um like the cognac A's, I mean, obviously they're much more kind of limited in what they can do with their stills because obviously a lot of that's defined in the law. But Well, if they want to make cognac, they can do whatever they want. They just call it something else. I think this is just, I'm just that's the thing. I think yeah. this is something that gets confused in the average consumer's mind. Anyone oh, no, no, no. can do anything they want and release it as anything they want. It just can't be under the traditional name of cognac. Yeah, no, I, I, I think, I think that's a, that is a very good point and very well made. And yes, that's a good clar- clarification. Um, and you know, I think, <clears throat> I think they, they could be some interesting things that can be done with fruit distillates down there. But you know, it's whether people want to do that or want to kind of explore different ways of making stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and I don't ha- I don't have to make the hard the hard financial decisions about what what do we buy, what do we sell, you know. I mean, there there are some real clear financial realities that are involved in this. It's very easy for me to sort of sit in a sit in a corner and go, oh, that'd be nice, but I'm not yeah. putting my money on, I'm not putting my money on the line. So you know that it's it, these kind of exciting innovations have to be all balanced out against what is fundamentally a commercial reality. You know, that kind of reminds me, just as a side comment, that has nothing to do with. WSET. It reminds me of um, you and I were talking once about um, acidifying a fermentation because many whiskey distillers will use acidulated grain. Some people use backset in rum. We call backset dunder. Um, and basically, the concept there for listeners is when you address the pH, and so you want the fermentation pH to be between three and five pH because that's where yeast can thrive, and a lot of the negative bacteria cannot. Um, And so people will achieve this in different ways. And I had mentioned to you that some distillers add citric acid 
And in wine, that would be a big no-no because citric acid can convert to volatile acidity if it's left for, you know, an extended period of time. And you had asked, you know, oh my goodness, they use citric acid. Why wouldn't they use tartaric acid? And I said, because in wine, tartaric acid is very neutral. It doesn't have a lot of impact. There's no risks in any conversion to anything negative. And I had said, oh, well, you only leave the fermentation for, you know, say three, five, seven days. You don't have any of the risks and citric acid is cheaper. And I remember you being like, oh, yeah, like you're buying ingredients if there's no quality difference. And in fact, yeah, you would buy the one that was more affordable. And that's just, you know, really, it reminded me of an interesting moment where wine and spirits are similar, but in fact different um, because your risks are different because it's only a short fermentation before it's stabilized as opposed to a wine that might be sitting in barrel for two years. Mm. Uh, so that was just kind of like a silly, like aside of, you know, why wouldn't you, why would you use, make a certain choice? Um, sometimes it is a financial choice. And for me, you know, we always, we have this little like triangle where it has to be quality first. So quality kind of goes up, 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 up. And then, you know, if it doesn't have an impact in quality, then we want to make the most sustainable choice. Um, you know, we want to ferment for six days, but, you know, going beyond that, if alcohol, acetobacter starts eating too much of the alcohol and you lose alcohol, then the amount of energy and water you're using to make the spirit for our intended style, this isn't true for everyone, for our intended style, you're diminishing the output, which means you're using the same amount of energy to get less stuff. And for us, that's a little bit, wasteful for our style. So we want to make sure we go quality until the minute, like six days is perfect. That's right where we want to hit. Okay. Then we stop so that we are using our energy and inputs as responsibly as possible. Um, and then underneath that all is, you know, if it's sustainable and it's quality, let's make the choice that makes the most financial choice. So we're also sustainable as a business. Mm. Um, and so I think that's where, you know, a lot of those, questions come into play but citric acid would be a perfect example where you know if a producer was trying to acidulate their fermentation which we at privateer we don't acidulate our fermentation because we use grade a molasses um, once we mix our molasses with water especially the crosby's molasses is perfect at this um, which is from the madre tierra mill our ph is like spot on right at like 5.1 fermentation ends right around like depending on what mark we're doing, 3.2, 3.5, or 3.8. Um, so we're perfect, but some producers might add acid. Citric acid will impact quality. Citric acid is not any more or less sustainable, and citric acid's the better financial choice. So a lot of producers mm. would use that, if that makes sense. I, just like I, know I just went out. way off the rails there. <laughs> yeah, I would just like to point out that we, you don't learn any of this on a WSET course. That's what I, um, yeah. yeah, I started yeah, our we, conversation we, on this subject by saying, Away from the WSET topics, this is just separate Maggie and Nicholas having our, one of our usual, very fun, lighthearted conversations. <laughs> lighthearted conversations about deeply technical things. Um, Which is why I love you. <laughs> God bless you. Awesome. Well, thanks everyone for joining us today. It's been wonderful to talk about level three a little bit, answer some questions. Um, you know, I myself studied in the Boston, Massachusetts area with grape experience. Adam was my teacher. Um, so yeah, I think that if anyone has any questions, hit us up. Thank you, Nicholas, so much for it's your been time. been an absolute pleasure. been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Excellent. And uh, yeah, we will chat again soon. I think we're talking about doing one on fortified wines. Um, 
because I'm kind yes. of a, a nerd for the history of fortification spirit through Portugal, pre, post, and during revolution. Um, so we could really get nerdy on this one, I think. Um, but yeah, uh, thank you so much and we'll chat soon. Absolute pleasure. You take care. Thank you very much. Bye. Thank you all for spending your time with us today. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Nicholas King from Wine and Spirits Education Trust in London. And we've got more technical and detailed podcasts coming up for you too. Please join us next time and you can find us at Privateer Rum on Instagram and you can find me at Half Pint Maggie on Instagram. Cheers and thanks.